Hey there, welcome to night school. And we're in the kitchen, but we're not cooking, unless you consider this cooking. And I don't. I don't consider this cooking. Although things are cooking. I feel like I'm cooking. Not as in I am a chef concocting some sort of meal, but rather that I'm the meal. I feel like somebody or something is cooking me, and I think it's just life. You know, I kind of had a realization yesterday where I was like, you know what, I think I'm having a a slight nervous breakdown. I think I'm having something resembling a nervous breakdown. I don't know how you classify a nervous breakdown. Maybe it's kind of, you know, people say that when you get food poisoning, how you get a sense for what it was, what the specific item of food was that poisoned you. And, you know, there's a part of me that kind of feels the same way about things like this, where if you find yourself thinking, oh, I might be having something of a nervous breakdown, you might be having something of a nervous breakdown. Not that it couldn't get worse, not that uh, you should be attached to that idea, but I think sometimes when you think, when you're feeling that way, thinking that way, there might be something to it. There might be something to, you know, that phrase coming to you in the same way that, you know, you psychically know what food poison you ate. Food poison. Is this food poison? Uh, And somebody might say, oh, the fact that you're able to talk about it on your your podcast might be a sign that you're not having one. And, you know, I do all kinds of things on this podcast, so I don't know. I think this, I think it's a good time to do one. I think it's actually a really good time to do an episode. And it's one of those things, though, that you you have to be very difficult... uh, or you have to be very careful talking about because it can be very difficult. You know, you have to be concerned with what kind of message you send to somebody. And, you know, I talk on this show a lot about how people only have certain points of reference to work with, and it's true for all of us. Like, we only have our own points of reference, and we understand the world and other people through those points of reference. And an example I've used on here is, you know, there have been people who have told me before, oh, your artwork reminds me of Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, it's just like Nightmare Before Christmas. And it's like, you know, that's worse to me than somebody saying, um, oh, your artwork looks like uh, South Park. You know, even even though I totally understand and don't, like, take offense to somebody saying that, like, I would rather have somebody tell me that, you know, my artwork looks like Family Guy the nightmare before Christmas, because I know exactly what they mean. I know what somebody means when they tell me my art looks like nightmare before Christmas, because it's dark, it's got this kind of, you know, it's just got that, you know, sometimes the people are, you know, oddly shaped, it's black and white. I totally understand why somebody who only has certain points of reference would think that. So it's like, at no point am I like, oh my God, are you an idiot? How do you, how do you think that? I completely understand why someone would say, oh, Nightmare, Nightmare Before Christmas, Tim Burton's, you know, I totally understand that. But to me personally, I would rather be compared to something like stupidly, stupid, but wildly different than I would something like that, that like I understand, but it's actually the opposite of what I want. And uh, the point I use that, the point of me using that is because I feel the same way about talking about mental predicaments. Where if you tell somebody, oh, I might be having a nervous breakdown, they might hear that and be like, okay, well, here are my points of reference for that. Oh, is it like a nightmare before Christmas? Oh, a nervous breakdown? Isn't that what happens to Jack Skellington? No, No, but somebody might hear that and they're like, oh, you need to do A, B, and C. 
or they start to look at your entire pattern of behavior over a period of time, their interactions with you, and see all of those as a symptom of, of a pending nervous breakdown or a buildup to a nervous breakdown. So that's why you have to be careful because people start to contextualize all of your behavior in that way. And the last thing I want is people thinking that my normal weird behavior is some sort of sign of, of you know, a, a breakdown, which it's not. You know, I, would, I wouldn't want anybody to think that about anything I express. I mean, when you're a... You know, I think I've, I think of myself as a strange person. Not strange as in I do weird things to people, but I think of myself as somewhat of an odd person. And, and just saying that sounds very, you know, there's a certain vanity to that, and people will hear that and they think, oh, you're not weird. Because to them, they think that you're putting yourself down. And it's like, no, I've just had, had enough experience in this life to know that I'm kind of strange, like when I express myself honestly and directly, and I'm not just going through the motions of small talk, which I'm more than capable of doing, but when I actually express how I think, I know that it's weird because people feel that it's weird. But what I'll say about that is, you know, it's easy to look at an entire pattern of, of someone's behavior when they tell you that something is off in the given moment and be like, oh, well... Oh, you! it seems like you've been having a nervous breakdown for years. Like, I had somebody actually say that. Years ago, uh, a friend of mine, I became friends with my friend's boss and her coworkers. Got along with them really well. They liked me. I would go into her work and hang out. And, like, I, it was kind of like during that period, they were kind of, you know, I, I wouldn't call them my friends, but they were definitely my, they were people I saw regularly. And so they added me on social media or and, and that kind of thing. And it was when I was making a lot more videos. They're basically the voices I do on here. You know, I do these accents and these voices. And I was basically making videos of that just for Instagram for whatever, where I would just come up with some like harebrained weird thing to say that entertained me for a second and make an impulsive video. And... Some people loved those. Like I got a lot, you know, it's funny because I got a lot of, especially like when I was doing a lot of them, I would hear from people and they're like, this is my, fa- this is the favorite thing. I look for, I look forward to these. But then other people like were, I know were extremely put off by it. And some people, the worst thing is, it's what I always talk about on here, where the worst thing isn't that somebody doesn't find it funny. It's not that somebody finds something obnoxious or annoying. It's when they don't know what you're doing and they don't realize you're trying to be funny. Because I don't care if somebody finds me funny. I want you to know that I'm trying to be funny. And if you hate my joke, at least know that it's a joke. But anyway, what I'm getting at here is it was when I was making those sorts of videos. And, and my friend's boss said to her, he was like, uh, is Eric having a nervous breakdown? Like, what is up with this? You know, and he, he legitimately thought I was having some kind of nervous breakdown because I do these stupid videos of like an accent. And that one, the one in particular that he responded to was, I was outside of Olympia Norway Fest, which they have once a year. And it's just like kind of this dorky, like, it's like LARPing light, L-I-T-E. It's like people are dressed in like somewhat traditional clothes, mostly old people. It's like a genealogical event on steroids. And there's, you know, some cultural stuff. It's very low key. It's very humble. But I love it. I love Olympia Norway Day for all that it is and all that it isn't. But I was outside of it in my car, and I was just like, I'm about to go into Olympia Norway Day. 
And I'm here in Olympia, a.k.a. Little New York. I don't remember all that I said, but it was something to that effect. And that guy saw that and was like, is Eric having a nervous breakdown? Like, he legitimately thought something was wrong. And, and, you know, yeah, I understand not everybody's into that humor or whatever it was I was doing. But it's just exactly what I'm talking about here. It's exactly what I'm talking about here. When you are going through something and you recognize it, you have to be careful who you talk to about it because they will start to contextualize who you are and all of your behavior with this in mind. And so this is, this is as much advice as it is me just reflecting on this feeling. I would say this is advice to anybody who has ever been through something similar. I would say be very careful who you talk to about this, not because, I mean, you, you will need to talk to people. Like I have several friends today where I just let them know, I'm like, you know what? I I think I'm having a slight nervous breakdown and uh, whatever they want to think about that or say in response is fine, but it's good to just to be able to say that to somebody. Not that I expect somebody to drop everything because the reality is in saying that there's also not a lot people can do especially when they're people that you're already in touch with, who already give you positive reinforcement. There's not a lot they can do. But anyway, just to get into like why I think that I'm having one, it's like one, I I mentioned this recently even, but I wasn't really thinking about it even. But I've been experiencing rapid hair loss. You know, and I've been gradually balding for years, but uh, not, not to the point where it was like completely obvious. But in the last three weeks or so, it's just... Hairs are just popping out. Like, it's amazing to actually look at how much hair has has gone in recent weeks. And I'm just finding it everywhere. I ordered clippers. You know, I'm not one of these people. I'm not going to shave my head skinhead style. But it's like I am at a point now where I'm like, you know what? I think I just have to buzz it. You know, I think I just have to accept this transformation. Because that's what I see it as. It's like I was going to go bald anyway, but it's been expedited the last few weeks. And there's very real stress. You know, I have some very real stress. You know, I mentioned something with the lawyer a while back. The lawyer, like, saying he's retiring, so he wants to, like, close up my mom's estate case. But Coronavi has greatly slowed that process down. While, like, a lot of the practical stuff has been handled, and I feel I've done, a, a honestly, a darn good job, considering it's been almost all on my shoulders, there's still some things that Coronavi has drastically delayed, slowed down. I mean, I think everybody knows about that. You know, one of my, one of the biggest realizations I've had during Coronavi is that you still have to do things. You still have to take care of practical things. You still have to move life forward. But when it comes to services, people are half-assing it. And part of it is because of their, you know, the physical restrictions of, you know, not being able to do everything as hands-on and, you know, you have to wear masks, you have to be careful. But just just like some obvious examples are in the last month or so, you know, I had a um, uh, the furnace guy come out to do maintenance and he, he couldn't come in the house. You know, he looked at the furnace in the garage, but he normally they would come in and mess with the thermostat and do some testing. And he said, oh, can't come in. So it's like you know, it was the same price as normal. You know, I, pay, I paid what I normally pay to have the the furnace checked, but here it was. And I, and I wouldn't say this guy individually was half-assing it. 
It's simply that their policy right now is one of, of just going through the motions, doing the bare minimum. I had the same experience with AAA, a dead car battery, and the, normally they would do a little checking around. Giving, they would give you a little more information about the source of the problem. And it was probably just a dead car battery, but still, it was a situation where, you know, they he's like, oh, I can't get inside the car. Like, he couldn't even get inside the car. He jumped the car, but he, he didn't even take a look around as they normally would. So it's just, and that, you know, you magnify that. Because I've had nothing, like, I've had that experience at the bank, you know, where people are, people are distracted, especially early on in Coronavi, people were very distracted you have people trying to retire, you have people trying to make decisions in their own life, you have people going through their own nervous breakdowns, you have people obsessed with politics, you have people, you know, whose social skills are deteriorating. So you have all kinds of things going on, in addition to the fact that there is a really solid excuse, and even policy to half ass things. So that's made the whole experience infinitely more difficult is that you have to do things. But when you get those things done, it's not to the le- it's not to the level of quality or interest to the people doing it even if they're otherwise good services good businesses and things like that so that's been an experience in all this it's made it much more difficult and you're trying to handle an estate trying to handle someone's belongings their possessions you know you're greatly limited in terms of like how and what you can sell there was a period where even donating even donating like old clothes and things, there was a period where you couldn't go to Goodwill. You can now, but it's like you couldn't even, they weren't even taking donations because they, they weren't open, I don't think. So it's just everything has been drawn out. Uh, not to mention, you know, everybody's under financial stress, just about everybody. Not every single individual, but I think, you know, the vast majority of people have had much more difficult financial hardship in the last year than maybe they ever have. And, uh, you know, so there, there are all kinds of practical things is my point. I don't want to belabor this and go into every little thing that could potentially cause me real life stress. Cause there, that's probably at the center of all this. I believe, I believe what's at the center of all this for me is very real stress. And you combine that with not being on the same page as people, you know, and we're hitting about a year now. It's not quite a year since they imposed the coronavirus lockdowner, but it's getting close. And I was talking to my friend about this, about how we're in this odd period where, I mean, I haven't looked at Twitter in a couple of weeks. I barely looked at like Facebook or Instagram in that span of time too. I'm just, I've been so busy that I just, I don't know what people are even talking about right now. The last thing I heard that was happening was some sort of Texas freeze. You ever heard of the Texas freeze? Is that a card game? Yeah, it is a card game actually, because people are gambling with people are gambling with other people's lives. It's the, it's a it's a statewide card game called the Texas Freeze, and they're forcing everybody to play. Everybody in Texas is forced to play a game called Texas Freeze. No, but that was the last thing I heard. You know, oh, you're making fun of the fact that people are frozen. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just having fun. Oh, you're making a joke about the the awful power outages and people who died in the texas winter because uh you're oh your nervous breakdown is making you make fun of people who are suffering no no the phantoms are you know really out although that's the funny thing is like when you're feeling this way when i'm feeling this way 
The phantoms don't really have much of a voice. Those little voices you hear of, of someone criticizing you or pointing something out, pointing out a contradiction or a hypocrisy, their voice gets a lot weaker. I feel like when things are going relatively well, when I'm feeling pretty good, is actually when I hear those little phantoms saying, but what about this? Oh, didn't, oh, didn't you, uh, uh well, that opinion is, uh, you're, you're a hypocrite, because, because this, uh, you know, those little voices, those little shower arguments, things like that, they kind of go by the wayside, because being in this state of mind, I'm very much, uh, I'm in my own head. You know, I'm very much in my own head. Like, I took Batty to a park that we don't normally go to. It's a big athletic field with a, a woodsy trail where, yeah, it's it's way outside of town. And it was the perfect place to go, though. Because the issue with him is he... Because uh, there have been little issues with him, too. He had a little bit of a health issue in January. And it was never completely resolved. Some bathroom-related stuff. But that was stressful because, you know, he's my new dog. And, you know, I'm dealing with, with a health issue there. And then uh, he's also gotten very defiant on walks. Like, I think, I, I think I've done a poor job asserting my dominance. And uh, so walks have gotten a little bit stressful because he's, he's just gotten a lot more defiant. You know, pulling on his leash, not wanting to go this direction, wanting to go this direction, not wanting to walk for very long, which wasn't the case when I got him, which tells me something about my behavior is the issue. Even though I, even though you know he's he's a good boy at home, there's just something that tells me, okay, you know, something I'm doing is causing him to be more defiant, to respect my dominance less. So, so you know, that's a thing. Um, but with him, uh, I took him to this great field today, and the nice thing is, if I take him to a place that's foreign to us or that we go to very rarely, he's the best boy in the world. But if it's a place that he's walked many times, if it's the neighborhood here, he's the most defiant. So it's interesting how his defiance goes hand in hand with familiarity. And I mean, we're the same way. It's like you think about a place that is familiar to you or even like, you know, when you drink, like the bar that you go to all the time is the one where you're going to kind of you're going to feel like you hold court. Oh, I, I hold even though I'm just a, a random customer because I'm here all the time. This is my table. I hold court here, and if somebody's there, uh, they're they're uh, they're treading on my territory. So you know, we kind of do the same things as humans, where familiar terrain makes us puff out our chest and you know rebel a little bit. Um, but anyway, you know, I, I took him there, but still, I was in my own head, very much in my own head. My anxiety, my electricity is in full force. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm very much thinking about my own situation and not other people's. Within reason, you know, I'm not totally self-absorbed, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, but, yeah, the, the hair loss thing, though, that was something I've been, I've been noticing lately, rapid hair loss. Like, tons of hair leaving my head. And, uh, you know, the, the only thing, like, I have no issue with the fa- the inevitable baldness of being. I've talked about it on here before, where if you live long enough to go bald, you're lucky. Even if you got, Even if you went bald at age 20, like I knew a guy who that happened to, you you lived long enough to go bald, and that seems like you're you're a lucky person because you know, I think about my friend who died at 16, and it's like you know he didn't even have a chance to lose his hair. Does it doesn't mean his life was a waste, or doesn't mean you know he didn't fulfill some sort of purpose in his 16 years? But it's like 
I think it's a privilege to live long enough to go bald, and I couldn't possibly let that hijack my life. But the suddenness at which it is happening now is really, it's fascinating. It's, it adds a lot more stress. I, I'm probably thinking about that more than anything, because I'm just like, wow, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to communicate to people that I went bald quickly. And then that again gets into the symptom thing of like, you can't, I mean, when you go bald that quickly, when you lose that much hair in a short amount of time, people know something's up. And while it's not embarrassing to me, it just, it simply, it gives people room to get creative. And not that I really give a shit what they say or think about, you know, things going on with me, because I think everybody understands that a lot is going on with a lot of people. I think everybody understands that, but it, naturally people could speculate. Are you okay? Because the last thing, that's the interesting thing, is the last thing I want from any communication with people is, oh, I don't want sympathy. I don't want, uh, are you okay? Oh, I'm so sorry you're going through that. You know, and it'd be, it's nice if people even say that, because some people don't care enough to even do that. But, you know, I, I don't want that. Because I don't think I ultimately have anything pitiable. I don't think I have anything... I don't think I'm a victim of anything. I'm a human being living a life. And, you know, I think some of, some of my issues I've created for myself, some of them are the results of circumstance. What isn't that? What doesn't that apply to? You know, what doesn't that apply to? Uh, but, you know, I do have concerns over interacting with people in the near future, both for physical reasons, because I'm just like, yeah, man, my hair all fell out. And then second of all, just because I do like people to know what's going on with me, not not to an obnoxious extent, like not to the extent that I express myself on this show, but I like to be honest with people. And there's people in my life, close people in my life, who are, or let's just say people who are in my life for sure, who I actually don't want to talk to about this because I think that they would respond with a paint by numbers response i think they would project all kinds of things onto it i think they would do equations in their head that don't apply to my situation and that's what i'm talking about about being careful who you talk to and um that's illuminating it's illuminating when you're in a position where you know exactly who to talk to and how to express yourself to certain people. That That's the beautiful thing about a situation like this. Because on one hand, I don't want to burden anybody with nonsense. But the people who are in your life shouldn't be burdened by anything going on with you, as long as you're not uh, a jerk about it. But uh, it's interesting to know exactly who you can mention something to, and exactly how to mention it to them. And you should remember that. You might not in the moment, but you should remember that if you've gone through something like this. And what I have to say, too, is there's no element of depression. You know, like I go through heightened states now and again, and I, I wouldn't say I've even been in one recently. I've been very focused on getting things done, but and I've been very creative, very productive. But it hasn't been so much a mania or heightened state. It's just been a, a very focused, dedicated period. And this doesn't feel like a crash Although I'm not entirely surprised this comes at the tail end of it. But there's no element of depression. There's nothing self-destructive. There's nothing sad. 
And I mean, it should go without saying that, you know, obviously I'm talking about some of the, the practical stresses that I've had to deal with, with my mom dying right before Coronavi and then dealing with like half-assed people just doing a half-assed job, um, with, with all kinds of services and, and just needs that you have and certain, certain outlets not being available to you or being limited in their availability. And, and it, should go, it should go without saying that obviously my mom died before this and that was a stressor. But what's interesting is I'm not feeling anything particularly strong about that in relation to my current situation. While I greatly miss my mom, while, you know, that's a hole that will never be completely filled as it shouldn't, I don't feel any kind of sadness in, about that, but I see that as part of this whole process. You can't remove that from what I'm going through right now. Practically, emotionally, any any way that you want to paint that angle. So it's absolutely a part of this, but I don't feel depressed. I don't feel sad. I'll be very aware of that if it comes about. I'm not afraid to feel that way. But so far, it hasn't been a part of this. And uh, somebody, there are people who would say, oh, maybe you should go to go talk. Maybe you should get a Zoom call with a therapist. It's like, oh, do you want me to actually jump off a cliff? <laughs> and no, I don't feel suicidal at all. I just feel, uh, I feel like I'm on the edge, though. Not Not on the edge of suicide. I feel like I'm on the edge of just life. And I felt that way for weeks, actually. I've, I've known that I'm on, I'm on the edge, which is why I'm not entirely surprised that this is on the tail end of that period. You're losing your hair because you're drinking too much bang energy drink. A side effect that too much bang is hair loss. Now, I haven't been drinking enough to... I don't think I've been drinking enough bang or energy drinks to, to actually cause any kind of physical side effect. Although I've been drinking way too much caffeine, I know that. I'm kind of, I see this little, I see the end of this month as just a detox, less caffeine, you know, um, just focusing on what it needs to be focused on. I mean, I injured my arm, so I haven't been able to lift weights in a week. There's just a lot of things, you know, I mentioned the car, a lot of little things, a lot of big things as well. You know, it's just been a culmination. And then, like I was going to mention earlier, I think an issue I'm experiencing with people, with people, is that... People are not on the same page, and not just politically, not just socially, but it seems like even with things like coronavi, I'm not getting reliable information. Like, I don't read the news, I don't, I don't really check, I'm not checking social media or in recent weeks, I, I really haven't looked at it at all. And so I don't really know what people are, uh, I don't know what their trip is right now with that stuff because I was talking to a guy on the phone who you know who lives in another part of the country who who was like, "Oh, well, aren't things getting better?" And I was like, "I don't I don't know. I don't, I don't know. are they? I mean, it seems like we're getting a lot of mixed information. I noticed that bars have opened up. I've noticed that certain people seem to be acting more normal, but then there's also this whole like Obama bin Biden thing where like people have decided things are normal again because he's in orifice. And I don't know how true that is. You know, because I mean, they, they obviously have spent a lot of time, they, they spent a big chunk of time trying to impeach Trumpsfeld again and didn't. Which seemed like a, you know, because I mean, honestly, I'll say this, like, I think Trumpsfeld getting banned on Twitter was a bigger deal than him getting impeached. And someone would say, that's ridiculous. And I'm like, I don't think it is. Because from my point of view, the Twitter banning 
was more controversial than the impeachment. Someone would say that's crazy. I don't think so. I think I understand why I believe that. And then this this latest attempt at impeachment, which I don't need to get into, just to say that it's like, oh, we're, we're spending time on that right now. No matter whether you support it, don't support it, think it was justified or not, it doesn't seem like a priority for a guy, you know, who's no longer in orifice. Just how I feel, you know, it just doesn't seem like that should be your priority. And then, you know, you have, you know, I mentioned before when I was in elementary school, when kids ran for class president, they would always make promises that they didn't fulfill. It was, we're going to get a pop machine and longer recesses. Every kid in elementary school, when they ran for class president, they made those two promises. A pop machine, which they didn't allow at elementary schools back then. They had them at junior high because we were old enough. Puberty means you can drink soda. But in elementary school, we didn't have pop machines. And so because we didn't have one, the class president, the person running for class president would always promise that. And it would always trick the kids every year. We're going to have a pop machine and longer recesses because this little 11 or 12-year-old is going to successfully petition the school district because it probably would go to a school district level. It probably goes beyond the school itself into the whole school district. They're going to successfully petition the school district to have a pop machine, but not just a pop machine, longer recesses. Yeah. Uh, But that was a great lesson because it teaches you that, yeah, politicians lie early on. Nobody taught these kids how to lie. They just knew that that was an effective way to get what you want. It was an effective way to get, in this case, pseudo power, because that's all an elementary school class president has. You know, they, they wield no power, but they still want what little power is associated with that position. And I'm not hating on little kids here. I'm just saying it's, it's just it's inherent in these systems we have. This is why you're having a nervous breakdown is because you're, you're, you're obsessing over little kids lying <laughs> to become class president. No, it's just that's an early lesson where you learn that people lie. But it just it makes you think of like, uh, you know, every every U.S. president where they're going to say certain things that they don't fulfill. It's like the idea of like, oh, we're going to do more to get you all stimulus. We're, we're going to stimulate you a lot more once I take over and we're going to immediately put $10,000 in your back pocket and give you a playful punch on the shoulder. You know, of course they didn't say that, as if I need to tell you that, but uh you know, they did it did seem like one of uh it did seem like one of the platforms of the Democratic Party was look at how horribly Trumpsfeld has handled pan- pandemonium relief. We're going to make you a priority and naturally they don't which just aggravates everybody. And then they focus on an impeachment, which they don't even succeed at. Because it wouldn't have bothered me if they impeached him again. Like, let me make that clear. I, I couldn't have cared less if they impeached him again. It, it, made no real, it made no real difference to me what the outcome was. My problem is just the fact that we're going through this right now. Can't you put this off? Can't you reschedule this? I don't know what better. I don't know who does what in government. I always get confused over who Congress, the Senate. I don't remember who does what, but still, it seems like you could be doing something better than this. 
but that adds to all the stress. You know, I, I have no doubt too that some of the politics, even though I feel like I have a healthy attitude about politics overall, I I, th- I think I, it's inevitably caused me a certain amount of stress because it, in turn, it's not just that the politics themselves go on; the politics impact all of your one-on-one relationships, even when they shouldn't, even when you agree. It's it's still there. They've done a very good job at making politics incredibly personal. You know, a friend of mine was talking about meeting uh, some friends of friends at a get-together a few months ago. And the guys were just sitting around talking about Obama being Biden. It's just something you just talk about, you know, casually now, as if you were talking about the weather. And I've experienced that myself, where it's like, whether you agree or disagree with people, it's what they want to talk about to an extent that, I don't ever remember, even in the Bush era, I don't remember this much casual small talk about national politics. So that's been another part of all this, that your relationships have been cheapened in some cases. Even good relationships have been cheapened during this period of isolation by the politics of the era, which are temporary. You know, it's like even if even if what's going on right now is indicative of the future and how things are going to be for the foreseeable future, it's still temporary. The current situation is still temporary. And you can see that when it's like there are things that people were vehemently arguing about four months ago, two months ago, one month ago that seem distant to us even now. And it's like, how much do you want to invest in that thing? Knowing that you're not even going to remember it. But your body and mind might remember it. Like, it might cause stress. I mean, thinking about myself, it's like there are things that I may have had some reaction to months ago that on an intellectual level are far gone. Like, when it comes to my brain thinking about things, it's not even there anymore. But yet, my reaction to it created some sort of impact on my being. You know, and you think about stuff like that, and that, that builds up. And while I, I think I'm okay overall with the isolation that's inevitably going to take some kind of toll on you because you can feel when people's, you can feel people's emotional states. You know, I can tell you, I could tell you without talking to anybody, without seeing anything they say, I could tell you right now who I know, who among the people I know are doing okay mentally and who isn't. I could just tell you right now. And it's not even just because of their history it's not because of any one thing. I could just tell you. I just feel it. I can feel it when, when I message somebody or they message me, regardless of what it's about. I can tell who's rolling with things relatively well and who's suffering and who's more distant, you know, and not even just in the interaction itself. I just get a feeling. Because we're not all isolated. Like, I don't see my current situation as a product of my own mental isolation, even though I'm isolated. I see it as a symptom of everything. Almost went with a Black Sabbath lyric. I see it as a symptom of the universe. Got to, uh, I don't know. I, never, I don't think I should ever avoid Black Sabbath lyrics. Uh, but I got to be self-conscious sometimes. But yeah, it's a symptom of everything. You know, because there's a lot of people going through stuff right now. 
There are a lot of people in worse situations than I'm in by far. But there's a certain relief to this as well. Like when you've been kind of skirting along a, a certain edge and you know it and you suddenly are like, holy shit, like I'm not holding on to anything. And thankfully, I'm in a good place mentally and physically, spiritually, overall. And in the last couple of days, too, I've been very... Because I've had insomnia. And actually, that's a good point, because that's another sign that something's going on, where I, I used to have more insomnia when I was a kid. I was always the last kid to fall asleep at sleepovers, if not if I was ever even able to fall asleep. Um, but, uh, you know, I haven't had much insomnia in recent years, I think I'm just healthy. You know, I've been living a healthy lifestyle. And even if I'm not tired, it's like, I'll eventually fall asleep. But I've been staying up all night, every night. And I have gotten sleep most nights, eventually. I have gotten, you know, enough, not as much as I should, but I've gotten enough to get by. But the night before last, I was laying there. And it got to be 8am, 7.30, 8am. And I was just like, you know what, it's not going to happen. And I'm too aware of how light it is outside. I'm too aware of the birds chirping. I'm too aware of the sounds of people starting their day. I'm not going to go to bed. And there was something kind of exciting about that, where I got out of bed and I was just like, but of course, the second you get out of bed, that electricity dies. Because you're laying there and you feel positively electric. You couldn't be more awake. You think, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go be very productive. But I... I went downstairs and I had to do some things in Photoshop and uh, I was just immediately aware of how low my cognitive function was after no sleep. It was like, like trying to figure out layers, trying to figure out the different tools I had to use in Photoshop, something that for me is like the back of my hand. And I was just like, oh my God, like, and I made it a point. I was like, I can't drive anywhere today. I'm not, no matter how much coffee I drink, and I didn't want to overdo coffee. I didn't want to overdo anything. I was like, I'm going to drink just enough coffee this morning and maybe like one cup in the afternoon to kind of get myself through the first part of the day because I don't want to go to bed in the afternoon. I want to make it till eight o'clock at night, something, you know. But I was just very aware of how low my cognitive function was after no sleep. And so the insomnia is clearly a symptom of something. And uh, the the thing was, though, is in days prior, I'd been staying up extremely late coding and working on my new website. And so it was a very focused, productive use of insomnia. But then last night or the night before last, it was like I was pretty much done with everything I needed to do. But I was still electric. I was still just filled with it. And when you lay there, you feel that electricity and you think, I've got to do something with this because it's not going to let me sleep. But amazingly, I made it until 10 p.m. last night on no sleep. I tried to take a nap for a second in the afternoon. It wasn't, wasn't going to happen. But I managed to make it till 10 o'clock with no sleep. And I was, of course, falling down. I was incredibly tired. And then guess what? I get in bed at 10 p.m. No sleep. I'm just laying there. I probably lay there for three hours, took a melatonin, and I did eventually fall asleep, and I slept for a long time. Probably not enough, you know, but still, I slept for a long time, and so that's good. <laughs> you know, that goes, it goes without saying, because I was like, you know, if I go two days without sleeping, 
that's when shit is going to get haywire. That's when hallucinations, you know, and I mean, I hadn't stayed up all night like that since I was a little kid. And that, you know, as a kid, you do it at sleepovers as a kind of an experience. So we're going to stay up all night tonight. We're going to drink Pepsis all night. And then the next morning, it's just your cognitive ability is gone. It's not like you enjoy that. Like, I don't enjoy sleep deprivation. It's interesting, but I don't enjoy it. I don't need to mess around with that drug. But anyway, so, um, you know, the night wore on and... uh, you know, I, I got a lot done yesterday. Surprisingly, I got a lot done considering my mental condition. But uh, my website's up. I haven't made an announcement. I don't know. Announcements and self-promotion are just so weird to me these days. You know, because I have no problem, like, saying things. I have no problem expressing myself on the Meteor sites. I just wonder how much people give a shit. You know, I was thinking about that, like, having worked in the web business and in marketing in the early 2010s when Facebook was like at its peak, it was really interesting because the idea was that everybody was making professional pages on Facebook for their businesses. And you saw that with Instagram and different things, but Facebook was really big at the time. And, you know, a social media manager, as they called them, they could write their own ticket. Those people could have access to the CEO because they were responsible for representing the entire company to a whole world of people. And, you know, within a few years, it became kind of established what that job should or could do. You know, it kind of had some limitations placed on it, partly based on like the fact that you could now measure its performance a little better. But uh, and, and people had just become used to using it. But from an audience side, there was, I think, a lot more audience interest. It's like, I can like these pages for these businesses. And it wasn't just big businesses who would give you, like, promotional codes if you follow them and gave you an incentive. Oh, you can you can complain to them about your experience or you can praise them. I love this product. I love Big O Tires. I love this company. Uh, it was also, like, supporting people you know. And I wonder how effective that is anymore. Like, I wonder how much companies actually get. I'm sure really big companies still have random housewives interacting with them. I'm sure that still goes on. I'm sure old people still interact with products. But I wonder I wonder how, like, effective it is for people to create these pages. Like, I have one for, you know, my noise project. It doesn't really get much engagement, as they call it, Um whether that's because of me, whether it's just it's the nature of things. I don't, I don't think that's a good example. I don't think that's a good measuring stick. But I know just from seeing it myself, from just observing it, it seems like, it seems like people have gotten kind of sick of self-promotion, you know? I mean, I'm depending on what it is, like I support people who I support. But, you know, I do get the feeling where it was like the early days of social media or people were kind of excited to be on there. And uh, they were way more likely to, like, want to be like, yeah. Oh, you're doing this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I felt like people, that was more of a, like, not not in my case necessarily, but I think I just observed more of that where it seemed like people were more excited about people's extracurricular or professional activities. Like, someone you went to high school with was way more likely to like the Facebook page of the company you worked for. Like, that happened to me. I was like, whoa, 
that per, a random person that I went to high school with like liked my company's page, huh? Uh, I'm surprised I even noticed it, but I did. Um, but uh, you know, you'd have things like that. And now I just wonder, like, how much how much self promotion can people stomach? You know, how much self promotion can people stomach from their peers? It doesn't seem like they can stomach that much for that long. And that's the interesting dynamic. Like, if you look at marketing, if you look at like what appeals to people, like people like to feel a personal connection to things. It's why people like to get autographs. It's why people like to have a photograph with a famous person. Like, if they're at all sane, they know that person isn't their friend. But they get to say they got a piece of them. Like, I have Shawn Michaels' autograph still. I met him. I met Shawn Michaels when he was the commissioner of the WWF, when he wore that suit around. And I met him outside of a WWF show. And, I mean, here I am saying I met Shawn Michaels. I handed him a piece of paper, a scrap of paper, and he signed it. He answered a couple questions. My friend told him he was his hero. My friend Nick said, hey, you're my hero. And Shawn Michaels said, thanks, kid. <laughs> and uh, we met him, though. You know, I can say that I met Shawn Michaels. Uh, and on the way there, the rock drove in front of us. We were in a crosswalk, and this car just, like, drove through the crosswalk. And as they drove, he turned and looked at us and gave us what was called the people's eyebrow. He had that signature eyebrow. And I can say that The Rock drove through a crosswalk I was walking in to go to a WWF event, and he gave us his signature eyebrow. And, uh, you know, I got it. I'm, I'm practically his friend, practically friends with Shawn Michaels and The Rock. No, but you, you do that with people who you're fans of. Like, you want, it's not just that you're a fan, you want to feel a personal connection to them. It's why people like. Even if they get a print, a reproduction of someone's art, it's why they like there to be a signature on it, like a hand signature. You know, it's, people like to have a piece of things. But I think something interesting happens when you know somebody too well. Familiarity tends to breed contempt. And I think when you're a fan of somebody, but you're, there's enough distance, I think that you have an easier time being like, yeah. Oh, Danzig updated his... his uh, Instagram page. I don't know. I've never even checked. I don't even know if Danzig has one. But it's like it's easier to be like, oh, Danzig, he's promoting his new album, his Elvis cover album, which is really good. Uh, but he's promoting his Elvis cover album on social media. Or uh, yeah, I'm gonna like that. Whereas if it's somebody you know, you know, there might be a little bit of an, there might be a little bit of something in you that's like, you know what? Like I'm kind of sick of this self promotion. I'm kind of sick of my friends telling me to give a damn about what they're into. And I'm not, I'm not even talking from my own point of view, although I know that feeling. I know what it's like to feel like, at this point in my life, like I used to feel that more. At this point in my life, I, I tend to feel more just like, I'm glad you're doing something. I'm glad you're doing something with your time. Whether I like it or don't like it, I'm just glad you're doing something, to be honest. There's a time and a place to not do something. And I like it when you don't do things, too. No, but really, it's like I don't, I don't see somebody doing something, even if I don't care about it, really, and, and say, like, why is he... I don't turn into Livia Soprano, like, why is she doing that? You know, I don't turn into that person anymore, but I know that feeling, and I know when that feeling is directed at me. Even if it's not said, I know when it's directed at me. I'm talking about all this because I'm just talking about the dilemma of self-promotion. And sometimes the best self-promotion is not promoting something at all. This is why you're having a slight nervous breakdown, because you're thinking about 
to promote or self or not promote you know it's like to self promote or not self promote like what is this shakespeare what is this shakespeare is this shakespeare you know it, it is a dilemma though you know and i think i think all the dilemmas i have i think we experiencing experience them already i think everybody experiences many dilemmas countless dilemmas but bringing them to the forefront and addressing them as dilemmas and figuring out whether it actually is a dilemma or whether it's an idea that somebody else or some BS experience you had put put in your brain. You know, I think putting dilemmas at the forefront has only made my life better. It's only made my life healthier. I understand you can get lost in it, but I think like seeing life as a series of dilemmas to either reconcile or work through or just let sit has honestly only made my life better. I think that dynamic has made me learn more about myself in the world than many other processes could or would. But I can see where somebody gets lost in it and why it's not always fun to talk about the endless dilemmas, the endless Zen koans. Completely understand why somebody doesn't want to deal with that. They just want to do things. But anyway, I guess I'll just I'll self-promote here and just say, yeah, my new website is up. It's ericstonefelt.com, the same site that I've always had. I wouldn't call it a redesign because it, it was rebuilt from the ground up. I coded it. It's lacking a little bit in responsiveness. Like the thumbnails, there's some issues with the thumbnails because I, I made these big thumbnails for art that you can click on. And the thumbnails don't really scale well. So, like, depending on the device you're using, like, the thumbnail might get knocked down to the next level. Like, on a phone, it's just, like, two big columns of these giant thumbnails, which I'm okay with because, like, I want people to be able to see the thumbnails. Like, I don't want the thumbnails to be... I want you you to be able to see, like, because only part of the drawing is in the thumbnails. But I want you to be able to, like, tell which thumbnail is which. And it has a whole gallery function, like where if you click on the thumbnail, it expands on the screen to show the full image. And they're high resolution enough to where you can click on the image and expand it further. Like you can really get into the details and, you know, that opens me up. I mean, it's, it's not like things are print quality, but someone could theoretically save an image and print it. And I just have to roll with that. I didn't put watermarks. You know, it does say my name in uh, text at the bottom of each picture. But I, I don't, you know, I see watermarks and I know why they exist. Like, I know why you watermark an image to protect it from being stolen and people do steal images. But I made a decision where I was like, I want this to be immersive. I want this to be an exper experiment. No, I want this to be an experience where you can really see what I do. And, you know, I, I do believe in some kind of karma. I, I said all this on the site. I said, you know, karma offers a flexible prognosis for people who steal. And that's not meant to sound threatening, but it should give you pause. I'm not somebody to steal from. Uh, but, you know, so there are some issues. Like, overall, it's fairly responsive. Like, I think it looks pretty good on most devices. However, the thumbnails are just huge, and they so they get knocked into, you know, just depending on the, the sort of device you're using, it might be a little awkward dealing with the thumbnail size. Not like they take up the whole screen, but they're just these big squares. There's a shitty grandpa page. It's buried, but there's a shitty grandpa page with... Uh, there might be new shitty grandpa comics, in fact. There might be a few new shitty grandpa comics, if you're a fan of those. Which, it's amazing, because that has been like the most popular thing I've ever done. 
even though up until this year there were only like 10 or 11 shitty grandpa comics I've gotten more positive feedback for that comic than you know anything that I poured my soul into which I would say I probably did pour my soul into shitty grandpa and that just tells you everything that this thing that was totally effortless is the thing that people tend to like the most and so there's a new shitty grandpa page how's that for self-promotion no but uh you know I, I feel like it's something that represents me and I think it plays into this whole nervous breakdown thing where I was so focused on that and spending all of my time like learning new code learning like new ways to optimize a website running into dead ends, having to give up on certain things like, oh, you, I can't get the footer to stay at the bottom of the page no matter what I do, no matter what I research. Guess what? I don't think my art site needs a footer. And you end up wasting time on that. You end up losing hair over that, but you just make, you realize, okay, I don't need this. This doesn't really serve a function for this kind of site. But what's really crazy about it is just seeing like 15, 16 years of work you know that's the crazy thing to me is when you're looking at you know your entire adult life in art and I'm not someone who ever thinks about my art in terms of like oh this is what's going on in my life oh this is my such and such period I'm not someone who thinks about my art that way but when you're looking at the entire body of your adult life's work you do end up thinking about it you do end up realizing like who you were at the time and how you've changed. And like I was looking at like from like 2008 to 2000 to like late 2010, like I was looking at like basically a three year block of time where I was in my first serious relationship. And I was like, I didn't do a lot then. Like there was all this momentum building up like in the the mid 2000s. And then it reaches this point where it's like, oh, you can tell that something else was taking up a lot of my time, and for the best. You know, it's, it's not like a bad thing that, oh, I wasn't working on as much art. I wasn't, like, making as much progress. You know, but you look at that period, and you just go, oh, yeah, you know, I know that something was going on in my life at that time. And then I look at, like, the period immediately after that, where it's like, oh, I started to do a lot more impulsive, sloppy work. Oh, here's where I started to learn that I could go drinking and drawing. Here's the period where I realized that Drawing wasn't just something you do sober or stoned. It's something you can do drinking and you can do a lot of it while you drink because you don't give a shit as much, but you also like come up with really dark ideas and funny ideas. And so like seeing like that three or four or five or (laughs) however many years that was of, uh, of drinking and drawing all the time. And it's like, well, that was a period and that's over now. Like I wouldn't be able to do that stuff. I wouldn't be able to do these very dark, sleazy, absurdly funny drawings right now because I'm not going to bars all night drawing. I'm not carrying my sketch pad around town as I bar hop and meet up with people and draw in the downtime. You know, I'm not doing that. But it needs to be included. Like, because I had reservation about including some things. Like, I went through a period where I drew tons of these women wearing G-strings and thongs and they were all holding knives It was a thing for a while. I found it extremely fun and satisfying to draw these. And they're very dark and pervy. But it was a dark and pervy night. But they are. And I I thought, like, you know, is this how I want to represent myself? Like, if if family friends want to look at my art, 
if employers want to look at my art, do I want them to see those dark and pervy years? And it's like, you know what? Like there were a couple things that I'm going to hold off on. There were a couple drawings. Like there was a drawing I did of these naked women with blood all over their chests, like not from them being wounded. It's just like blood smeared on their chests and they're holding chains and they're like pulling on these chains. And there's this big creepy pair of eyes in the background and it was called unflinching compulsion. And it was a genuinely dark, creepy picture. And I made the mistake of showing that one to my mom and I emailed it to her because she always wanted to see what I did. She always wanted to encourage and, and just see what kind of art I was doing. And so I emailed that to her one night. I was like, oh, here's my new drawing. And she said, what the hell is that? And she didn't say things like that. So I could tell, oh, she does, she does not like that. But, you know, I, I didn't include that right now. I don't know. I just thought, you know, maybe my mom's reaction was a good gauge. There's a lot of other stuff that's probably equally creepy. And I I plan on eventually including everything. I just kind of, I don't know. You have to strike a balance, you know. You have to strike a balance with these things, not to get too self-involved here. The site is very self-involved, like as it should be. It's an artist page. Like I did a lot of writing, some writing about myself, writing about my attitudes toward art my background with art, I feel like it's a good representation of me. Like, I want people to look at my new website, and no matter what comes of it, I want people to be able to look at it, and I want them to say Eric is for real about what he's dedicated a big chunk of his life to. And I don't even think about myself dedicating my life to it. I never once thought, like, oh, I'm dedicating my life to art. I'm dedicating my life to art. I never even thought of it that way. But looking at this entire body of work has been a trip. Because there's things that I forgot about. There's things I didn't even remember. And a lot of it has been documented in certain places, but none of it's been documented together. I haven't updated my old website in five years. And it's made me realize how poorly I've represented myself as a creative person. Just to think like, oh, I, I have an old website that had low-resolution images that I, it was scattered all over, it was unorganized, and I liked that at the time, but it's not a great representation. So this new site, it's an attempt to reconcile, you know, speaking of dilemmas, it's, it's an attempt to reconcile the dilemma of wanting a, a wild and overwhelming and crazy homepage with wanting something that is functional, accessible, and, you know, to some degree new, I wouldn't say the style or anything is completely cutting edge new style, but I did try to make an effort to make it somewhat usable, depending on what device you're using. Not going to be perfect, because I was racking my brain trying to make responsive thumbnails, and I eventually just was like, you know what, if I'm going to finish this in a reasonable amount of time... I can't be racking my brain like you can go to it. And even though the thumbnails are aligned weird or if you go to it on a phone, the gallery page just has these two giant columns of thumbnails. But I'm like, you know what? This is what it is. If someone actually has an interest in viewing my art, they will see that the page is mostly clean. And you can see large versions of my artwork and you can see who I am in that world in the world of just being a person who makes things and cares about it. You know, that's all it's supposed to be. Enough about that. You can see it if you want, ericstonefelt.com. I'll make an announcement. I'll announce it to the people who care. 
I want people to see this. I want people who don't know me to see this and to be able to understand who I am and what I do. I want this to be the start of something new in a way, because I think that's what I have to say about compiling all of this work from the past 15, 16 years. It does kind of feel like the end of a chapter in a way, even though there's work on there. There's a couple drawings that I've completed in 2021, you know, I've completed a couple drawings in the last couple of months, but you know, I still, it, to me, it feels like the, um, it feels like a, like a, definitely a, a marker. I'm 35 years old, you know, I'm on some sort of edge right now where I don't know what's going to happen. And there's nothing more ecstatic than that. There's nothing more, there's no greater spiritual ecstasy to that, but there's also nothing more scary there's no, I mean, it takes a toll on you physically. You know, I'm, something is taking a toll on me physically right now. Something is transforming me physically. I'm aging rapidly. I'm learning rapidly. And, you know, in recent episodes, I, I do, I am self-conscious of it, but in recent episodes, I've been talking a lot more about God and what that represents to me, the different ways of understanding what that is, at least to me personally. And you, you think of the book of Job where it's like, oh, right when you think you're at your most pious, the world twists you up. The world casts a spell on you. I don't think that's the case here, but it does make you think. You should never be too confident in your situation. You should never be too confident in who you think you are at a given moment. You know, you should always have humility. You should always... You should all, I don't know, you should, I think in being open and keeping yourself open, it means opening yourself up to the possibility that something could walk you right to that edge. And I'm not attached to the idea of a nervous breakdown. Like if I wake up tomorrow and I'm like, oh, I spent two days feeling that way. It must not have been a nervous breakdown. I'll roll with that. I am not attached to any one outcome right now. I'm not attached to any one state of being. And I hope this episode has been helpful to somebody because I do think we are in a period where a lot of people might be experiencing this. They might experience it later. I mean, some of what I'm experiencing, I believe, is a residual. It's, it's kind of the fallout of things that have already happened. Fallout sounds funny given what's going on with my hair. But, uh, you know, I think it's a fallout from some of just the last year of experience. And then the fact that there is such a mixed feeling about what the world is going to be like in the next few months. And I'm not eager to get back to normal. I'm not eager to pretend. I'm not because I think that when people say getting back to normal, I think that there is a degree of LARP to that. And the last thing I want to be around in the next year is people LARPing that things are normal when they're not. That will cause people to have nervous breakdowns. That will cause people to, you know, leap off that ledge. Not me. But I just don't want to deal with people who are delusional about what normal is. Because I felt this way all along. And, and I do believe a new sense of normal has to come from this. Because if it doesn't, if, if a new sense of normal doesn't come from this, I believe it will be theater community, poor community theater, not a poor community, not a poverty stricken community, but a low quality 
community theater if people are just going to snap into the idea that everything is as it was because it's not and because it's it's also revealed that people's sense of normalcy before all of this was delusional as well because the fact that something an invisible entity overnight can have the impact on you that it did should tell you that some of what was going on before this was itself a delusion a hallucination what was going on before this was a form of community theater. And community theater is great, don't get me wrong, but I like community theater when it's called community theater and the actors know they're acting. You know? But, uh, you know, I I won't belabor this. I won't... This isn't going to be a constant topic on this show. But I was kind of wanting to call somebody. I kind of let a few people know that shit seems to have... A tornado has developed, as far as how I feel right now. It's not a crash completely. It's not like a. It's not like going through a a mania and then crashing into a depression. I don't feel sunken down. It just feels like a tornado has developed, and with that can come something great. I see this as a as a potential transformation. As I have to view everything, I have to view everything as a potential transformation, including. Whatever this is, whatever's going on with me, I'm not going to assume that this is the worst that it could get. You know, I'm not going to assume that I'm going to be able to use all of this in a productive way. But I'm certainly going to use it. I certainly see this as an opportunity and an adventure, if I can get that word out. Oh my God, you can't even pronounce adventure anymore. Your sense of adventure left when you stopped being able to pronounce adventure. Adventure. No, you have to see things that way. And, and I hope that if this is relatable to somebody, that you, uh, you get through it, that you transform. Whether your hair falls out, whether you, you gain weight, whether you lose weight. I probably just need to lift weights again. <laughs> this is because I haven't been able to lift weights for a week. It's been six days, actually, I think. It's been, uh, no, I think it's been, it's been seven days. It's been seven days since I lifted weights. No, it probably is. Probably, because that helps you. Doing things like that helps you. I haven't started drinking again. You know, I haven't done any of that. Uh, I won't, and I won't do that. But, uh, you know, you just recognize what's going on with yourself, and that's part of the, the trip. And, you know, insomnia physical impact like my lower back is just not even a pain it's just kind of this sore non-stop feeling like I feel my lower back and that could be stress it could all be something maybe I've been I mean I've been hunched over a laptop late into the night every night and there's also a feeling of entropy you know there's a feeling right now like what goes along with this not to go on too long but what goes along with this feeling is a feeling of things falling apart I have a strong feeling of things falling apart, and I'm not trying to promote that. I'm trying to take care of things, but it's like I feel in some ways like I'm physically falling apart. I feel like a lot of things around me are falling apart. I don't know if that's unique to me right now, you know, because you think about infrastructure and in San Francisco structure in infrastructure, you know, has to be maintained. Your own infrastructure, which I think I've done a good job at maintaining, but the physical infrastructure of the things around you have to be maintained. And 
a year of coronavi, it was easy to put that off. Like I noticed for a long time, they weren't mowing park grass and I actually liked it. I was like, it's cool because I'll never see long grass in the parks ever again unless something like this happens. But stuff like that is cool. But with the, the other side of that is that means other things aren't being maintained. That means other things are being half-assed. And that means that I might be half-assing things. So you do get a, a feeling of entropy. You do get a feeling that things could and are falling apart. And, you know, some of this too came, Mercury was in retrograde, which I just tried not to think about. But, uh, you know, you have things like that going on as well, which people believe in. Even people who aren't really that woo-woo believe in mercurial retrograde. And uh, it's one of those things where if enough people are talking and thinking about mercurial retrograde, maybe that has some sort of impact. Maybe not the same thing that they think Mercury in retrograde does, but it might have some kind of impact on how they interact with you, on how they interact with the world, on what kind of work they do. So, you know, you can't get outside of that. Like if if some guy works on bridges or is a train conductor and he doesn't believe in astrology, but his wife does and she's talking all month long about mercurial retrograde. I just want to say mercurial. If she's talking about that all month long, even though he shoes it away, he's still hearing that in his head all the time. He still has that somewhere in his subconscious when he goes and he operates a train or fixes a bridge or does whatever. And so, I don't know. I'm aware of that. Whether it has truth or not, I don't know. But I'm aware of that kind of thing. I've seen how that has had an impact in my own life when I hear things enough or I say things to myself enough. But, uh, you know, I'd say mercury in retrograde kind of relates to that feeling of entropy, of things falling apart. That's a word, too, that I always forget what that means, and it finally stuck with me. Entropy is a word that, it's like myopia or myopic, where I always forgot what that word meant, and then finally it registered. Myopic entropy. Oh, listen to my new band. We're called Myopic Entropy. We're the best. (laughs) Entropic myopia. Yeah, but uh, I guess I'll just keep going a little bit. I want to talk. I don't have a lot to do. I've, you know, I finished my website. I don't think I'm going to do any more tweaking right now. I, I think that I would just be twiddling my thumbs, and it's actually really helpful for me to be talking. So uh, I will mention something. I got a message this morning from a friend who told me that a kid we grew up with died. He was found dead in his bed this morning, and he was younger than we were, and I never liked him. But I feel bad. And this friend and I, we used to, we always had problems with this kid. Like, not enough that anybody would ever be like, oh, there's a feud. There's a rivalry. There's an active dislike. But, like, we, on our side, we never liked this guy. I even, the first time I met him, I, I think he, he was, like, six and I was seven. And he was at a friend's house. And the very first time I ever met him, we got in a fight. And, uh... When he got older, he got less, he wasn't as much of a a kid who got in fights, but he was the kind of kid who just rubbed you the wrong way. And it was true for everybody I knew. And he had a lot of friends. He was a popular kid, but he just, he seemed like somebody who was always like searching for an identity. And he, 
didn't restrain himself enough, it seemed like, you know, and I, I, I told my friend this morning, I, I'll never speak ill of him again, but I just wanted to kind of set that up for this show, that this is a kid that I always just kind of had an issue with. And the last time I saw him was, I was in my hometown drinking with my best friend and his dad, and we were having a great time. Like it was one of the only times in my life that the three of us, my best friend and his dad and I just sat with beers and got as drunk as we wanted together. And his dad's a character. So it was, it was a perfect night out in my hometown. And this kid showed up at the bar and he sat down with us and he completely hijacked the conversation and was just talking about all kinds of nonsense. And I just turned on a dime and I just gave him a death stare. And my friend's dad noticed it and was I could tell was like, what is wrong with Eric? And the kid was asking me questions about me, in, but in this really kind of like hollow, like, so, so what do you do kind of way? And I res- he asked me, like, what are, what are you doing for work right now? And instead of telling him what I was actually doing, I was a complete asshole. And I said, let's say the kid's name was Tom. It's not his name, but let's go with Tom. And I said, oh, I'm in the business of making and manufacturing Tom's. What do you think? Like, what kind of asshole says that? Me. But I didn't want this kid at the table. He hijacked our table. I already had a beef with him. My friend already had a beef with him. Obviously not an open beef. Like, not something where he would have even known. But we just didn't. He was somebody. He came up as a punchline our entire lives. And uh, I don't know. I was just such an asshole to him. And I do think that line was really funny. Like I was like my friend and I were amused by it like the whole night. Like, what do you do? Are we make and manufacture toms? Make and manufacture, which is redundant, but I just wanted to be as like wordy and silly as possible. And he was just like, okay. And uh, you know, he also told us he was like, my grandma lives in the same neighborhood as Eddie Vedder, and I said, oh, is your grandma Eddie Vedder? Again, just a stupid asshole thing to say. And this is why I don't drink anymore. Not because I was that guy often, but because I could get into mindsets like that, that I look back on and I'm like, that kid did not deserve that. That kid did not deserve that. Even though it amused me, it amused us, even though we didn't want him at our table hijacking our fun night, it was still just this thing. And I I remember when we were leaving, he reached his hand out to like shake our hands and I pretended to just keep walking, and then I turned around, and I was like, no, I have to shake his hand. And I shook his hand. I don't know, man. I just, it sucks. It sucks, like, when someone dies, and you really didn't like them. And you realize what a sad life he had. Because he had a really good family. Like, he, his family had money. They did lots of things. They had lot, He had lots of friends. His family had lots of friends. He was popular. He was allowed to do like what he wanted to do. Like he wasn't like an affluenza rich kid, but just that his family, you know, they lived a comfortable life and they always seemed like a decent family to me. I don't know. I didn't know a lot about them. I had, I stayed over at his house once actually uh, because my neighbor lived next to him or my, my friend was his neighbor and we stayed the night at his house and had fun. Like it wasn't like I never had fun with this kid. He wasn't in my group of friends. He was younger. He was just kind of like part of the community, I guess, that I grew up in. And it sucks that I didn't like him. And it sucks that I was such an asshole to him when I saw him the one time as an adult. And it sucks that he died because it, it was probably an overdose. And he was somebody who I, I don't think ever got, I don't think he ever figured it out. I don't think he ever figured himself out 
maybe I'm wrong, but I just kind of felt like the things that I was so critical about for no reason, really. I mean, I didn't want to be around him, but the things that I was unnecessarily mean about were probably just things, you know, that that he hadn't figured out. And uh, even though I've given this kind of lead up, when I heard the first thing I thought of beyond just like, oh man, I'm, I, I'm terribly sorry for his family that they, they're having to fly out to California and deal with their dead son during all of this, during it, during like this confused, like year in of coronavirus, during this like weird, like everybody half-assing things. You know, I, I don't know. It definitely, it definitely mucks up the progress. It's more stress on people. It's sadness. It's horrible. It's absolutely horrible that these people have to bury their son right now. You know, it's. It made me very sad to hear it actually. And going through what I'm going through right now. While I'm kind of scared, it definitely does put things in perspective. And, you know, here's the lesson in it all. Here's the little moral lesson, but it does. Because I know this guy had developed a serious drinking problem. I'd heard a couple stories. It wouldn't surprise me if maybe there was an Oxycontin issue, something like that. It seems like that continues to plague people. I'm not going to assume I know what happened. But it sucks. It just sucks to hear. And I will never... Because I'm not afraid to speak ill of the dead. I'm not afraid for some, like, false... You know, for for like some, like... I don't, I don't entertain the idea of, like, having false reverence for people just because they've passed on. Partly because I don't see death as the end. But it really, it made me realize, like... And I haven't thought about this guy in a long time. Like, I have not thought about this guy in a long time. Not really since I had this this night where I made my friend's dad uncomfortable. Even though my friend, too, the son of, of the dad, like, he was being a dick to the kid as well, so it wasn't like I was the only one. But, you know, it makes me sad that I felt the need to be that way in my drunken state. It makes me sad that this kid just never seemed to figure anything out. It makes me sad that he died today or last night. And that his family has to do something about it. Not to bring this episode down too far into the depths, but this wasn't a friend of mine. This wasn't somebody I was close to. It's just somebody from my childhood who didn't make it past last night. And it's made me think about the way I was toward this guy. And how a lot of that was probably just the fact that he could never quite sort himself out. He could never quite put himself together in a way that, you know, I don't know, you know, and I, I hope that people reflect on him fondly, because I think he did have a lot of fun with his friends, I know that, they had a lot of fun together, he had friends, so I hope those people who were close to him, you know, are able to think back on him very fondly, because I, I think they will, I think a lot of people from my hometown who knew him, even people who had, because there were a lot of other people I know of who had issues with him too, but I think a lot of those people, there was enough dynamic there. Like enough of them had better experiences with him than just the bad experiences. So 
I hope he's remembered fondly in the community of people because it is a close knit community and I'm not a part of it anymore. I don't belong in it. But, uh, you know, I think in that community, I hope he's remembered fondly because his death certainly made me think about him. And death does that. Death will really make you think about the person that you interacted with for a short period of time that didn't seem important at all. And I would say it actually wasn't, which makes it even more absurd that I had this open beef with this kid who probably didn't even realize that we didn't like him. Hence him sitting at our table drunk and just yapping. Meanwhile, I I made funny but mean-spirited jokes at his expense. And uh, it's a, a good reminder not to do that. Even though I see humor as the ultimate solution, I have made a decision to be less mean-spirited directly to people or about people. I don't always succeed, but I've tried to do less of that. Just an interesting thing to have to think about now in in addition to my own self-involved stuff. And uh, God bless him. I mean that. God bless that kid. And uh, as a Christmas story, (laughs) not a Christmas story, uh, as my favorite tale ever says, God bless us, everyone. I mean that. I mean that wholeheartedly. And uh, I appreciate people who listen to this show. A couple people have told me uh, they've enjoyed the show recently. I don't know how much people keep tabs, but a couple people recently have mentioned they've enjoyed the recent episodes, which are a gamble for me. Like when you go on about God, when you go on about the universe, when you go on about all that, you run the risk of alienating people who don't want to hear about that. But, uh, you know, it's nice to hear that people enjoy it. Hopefully somebody can get something out of this episode. I think it felt necessary tonight to talk about what's going on with me. Not because I'm seeking pity or support or really any one thing in particular. It does feel good to talk. But it's not like I'm talking through this. I'm describing. You know, I'm not talking through this in the same way that somebody would uh, talk through it with a therapist. The show, it's important for the show not to be just some form of therapy or diary for me. But I think describing my situation is hopefully interesting and helpful. Even though I went on a tangent about my new website, let's check it out. Can you, are you going to check it? Have you checked it out while you're listening to this? Because what I really want people to do is check out my website while they listen to me ramble. No, don't. Don't do that. Don't cross streams. Those are different piss streams. My website and my show are different piss streams. And I should mention, actually, I didn't include a link to the show on there right now. I'm making an effort, even though I, I, this is not an anonymous show. And I don't think anything I say on this show deserves anonymity. It's very candid. Sometimes I say opinions I have no doubt people disagree with. I make jokes that people might find a bit much. But this this show would not be this show would not benefit from anonymity, and it's way too late for that anyway. But I didn't include a link to it. I might eventually. Right now, I just I want to keep the art separate. There's other things I didn't include. I didn't include anything, uh, you know, about different music, some different other things I'm involved in. I want that site to be primarily about my visual art, almost completely about visual art. It's important for me to have 
a centralized place for that, but didn't include this show. But as I mentioned before, if you didn't hear that episode, this show does have its own website, schoolnightpodcast.com. I think that was a necessary step. Don't know if that's the best URL. It seemed like a better choice than every night to school night or night school podcast. I think school night podcast sums it up. It's a place you can go to. It, it mentions how you can listen to the show. You can listen directly to the SoundCloud links on there. There's a, there's a little like player. It's a player. And you know, I don't recommend listening to the show on SoundCloud, but it's still the files are uploaded and hosted there just because I haven't wanted to switch everything over and it's 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 it works. But you can listen to it through all kinds of other services. Here's the self-promotion. But you know, I made a conscious decision not to include the podcast on my website right now. I think having the podcast in its own place separate from that it, it just felt like the right decision right now. Um but yeah, you know, a lot to, uh, I'm excited. You know, that's a thing in all this. That's why, you know, I'm not worried about self-destructive tendencies. I'm not worried about destructive tendencies because I have a feeling of excitement. It's just that with excitement sometimes comes a feeling of terror too. <laughs> it comes with hair loss, insomnia. It comes for, it comes with a, a form of anxiety. And it's interesting, too, because I was talking to a friend of mine who he listens to this show, and he gave me a little bit of pushback on something I've said, which I appreciate. If you ever disagree with something and want to, like, have a little friendly debate, email me. Es at ericstonefelt.com. Feel free to email me. I like email. But, uh, you know, feel free to email me. And a friend of mine gave me a little pushback on what I've said about anxiety and mental issues. And while he agreed that the idea that they are mis—I'm not putting words into his mouth here, but I think what he said was he agrees that sometimes they're misinterpreted or they're not a one-size-fits-all diagnosis. But he gave me a little pushback on what I said about anxiety being a form of hubris, which I can't actually take credit for. That comes directly from Terrence McKenna. It's the most profound thing I ever heard Terrence McKenna say. Like, I've waded through hours of mushroom talk, and then the, this, this, the mushroom makes you see patterns in the this that communicates the ampersand UFO to the shaman. No, I love Terrence McKenna, actually. I just don't get into the psychedelic talk, which is kind of funny. It's kind of funny to say that I like, I love Terrence McKenna. I just don't like all the psychedelic talk because he does add in universal gems that speak to the inner shaman. He was a very spiritual man. I just don't get attached to the, the, the idea of it being a psychoactive experience. I don't get attached to the idea of it being produced by the consumption of a material substance that it changes your vision of reality. I don't think that it has to be that, and it hasn't been that for me. But with Terrence McKenna, you know, he said anxiety is a form of hubris. And what he meant by that is it's like, because when you have anxiety, you think you know. Even though you're filled with terror and uncertainty, 
you feel like you know how things are going to work out and it's going to be bad. You're thinking of the phantoms in your brain are screaming at you that the worst case scenario is going to play out. And while you should always, you should never deny a worst case scenario. You should always be aware of a worst case scenario and, and plan against it. But sometimes anxiety makes people convinced, resolute, that a worst-case scenario is going to play out and there's nothing you can do about it, yet we're going to worry about it. And if I'm worrying about it, you need to worry about it. And so when you frame anxiety that way, it does seem like hubris. Being convinced, being resolute that you're prediction even if that prediction is based on something that could really happen and might happen it's still like being resolute about it being attached to it it's like what i've said about this maybe this is a pseudo nervous breakdown i don't know but it's like talking about this feeling like maybe i'm having a nervous breakdown and thinking i don't want to be attached to that idea though because if that's not what it is that's wonderful just because I'm telling people that I could be having a nervous breakdown doesn't mean that I'm attached to that. And that's the problem, too, with when you tell people something, you do become attached to it. You have to uphold that. Like, if you make a big deal to your friends, you're like, I'm having a nervous breakdown, I'm having a nervous breakdown. And then you, you, the next day, they're like, how are you? And you say, oh, I'm fine. It's like, I thought you were having a nervous breakdown. You got me all worked up. You know, but you can't be attached to that. And that's liberating. It's liberating to know that even if you think you're going through something, you don't have to be attached to it. If it turns out to be temporary, if it turns out to be something else, if it turns out to be nothing. Because sometimes the hardest part of life is accepting that something isn't something bad when you thought it was. Sometimes that's the hardest part of life. But yeah, I'm going to close it out. We're an hour and a half in. That's 90 minutes to you uh, minute-oriented people. And I think that I've covered some bases here. If somebody's going through something similar, something different, or nothing at all, and thinks this information, this description, could be potentially helpful, well, that's helpful to me, to think that rambling on like this could ever be helpful to anybody. And, uh, you know, I won't ask for thoughts and prayers, but, uh, you know... Give me a little, uh, give me a little nod, you know, give me a little, uh, I'm not asking for anything. Don't, don't give me anything. I don't know why I'm even going down that road. Say a, say a prayer for me. Do what you do. When you, whatever way that you wish someone well, don't do it for me. Just do it. Do it for everybody. I know that sounds cliche, but it's like, Try to make all of your interactions productive. You know, just try to make all of your... Leave channels open with people. Don't close any doors. When you do interact with people, do it in a way that offers them something and allows them to offer something to you if that's what they're trying to communicate. That's just the way to go. I think that's the only way we're going to create a new normal that is worthwhile, honest, and not some form of LARPing light. I think it's to try to make your interactions with people 
productive. And I don't mean productive as in you're accomplishing something major. I just mean they make you feel better for having had them. And you can't always do that. But you can do that with a cashier. You can do that in these temporary exchanges that don't actually mean a whole lot. Tomorrow's Thursday. I always talk about the Trader Joe's kid. I told him, oh, I'm, I'm just happy that it's Thursday. I love Thursday. And he goes, me too. I call it First Friday. I don't even know if he came up with that. Maybe that's from something else. I don't care. He was the messenger. I think it was his, though. But the kid at Trader Joe's told me he loves Thursday, too, and he calls it First Friday. That's a productive conversation. And you can have productive conversations, too. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, just uh, check out my website. I am proud of it. I am proud to have put it together. It gives me a lot of, uh, you know, again, it's a dilemma, of course. Of course, it's a dilemma for me. Um, on one hand, because it seems very self-involved. I, I say a lot on it. I mean, like the new shitty grandpa page has like an essay. But I also felt the need to put information on. I'm not into this brevity world. This is a place for information about me, and it doesn't say everything doesn't have everything I want to say, but I felt like I included necessary information. If you're a fan of this show and for some reason you're not aware of my art, check it out. It's, I feel like detached from it. I don't even, I don't even look at this and think that's mine. I looking at the entire body of work that I put up there. It just feels like, like a dream feels like a hallucination, which is honestly, how I prefer it to be. I think that's the best way to go about your own life is just to be like, I did this thing, but it feels like a dream or a hallucination. That seems like that's the right amount of distance you should have from whatever it is you do. Anyway, thanks for listening. I could go on forever. Tomorrow's Thursday, and I'm going to make it count. I'm not going to waste my Thursday. Not going to waste my Thursday because the one thing I can say is that I do not believe in wasting any time. I do not believe in wasting any time ever again. And in those moments where you have to rest, in those moments where you have to do nothing, that's not a waste of time either. If you have a general approach to life where you don't waste any time, even when you talk to the cashier, you can both find out that you love Thursday. And the other guy has a, a, a secret a secret word, a secret phrase for, for Thursday, that it's First Friday. So happy First Friday. If you listen to this on Thursday, you're already in it. If you listen to this on Thursday, you're already in it. I don't need to tell you to appreciate your First Friday because chances are you already are. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun 
Take.